I remember when we got our first fax machine, a car machine and tool, and I thought it was so highly technological that I brought all the machinists in the office and I said, guys, this machine is going to revolutionize our business. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76. We started the business in our garage. It's almost become one of those phrases that feels like something of legend, but sometimes this is word for word, how a family-owned manufacturing business is born. And that's exactly the case with my guest today, a second-generation leader of his family-owned machine shop, In our conversation, we'll get into the past, present, and future of manufacturing, how it's evolved from both a technology standpoint and a culture standpoint since my guest's father moved the cars to the street to make room for a couple of milling machines back in the early 70s, and where it's headed in a world where manufacturing technology is advancing exponentially. So on that note, let me introduce today's guest. As a second-generation business owner in manufacturing, Jim Carr has embraced the opportunities and challenges that come with leading a CNC machine shop that his father founded in 1972. Since becoming sole shareholder and president of Carr Machine & Tool in 2004, after decades of experience working alongside his father, Jim has steadily grown and evolved the business through innovative thinking and action. He is driven to leave a legacy for the third generation. Today, Car Machine and Tool Inc. has matured into an aerospace CNC machine shop serving elite industries, space and exploration, semiconductor, aerospace, medical, and the Department of Defense. Known for their unique culture with recent implementation of high technology tools and equipment, five axis machining, mill turning, and CMM inspection, it is truly aligned with its accreditation of being a world-class AS9100D facility. Jim's experience includes full knowledge of GD&T conventional and CNC machining and programming and CAD slash CAM systems, as well as vast industry leadership and service roles. What differentiates him from his manufacturing peers is his innate passion for marketing, brand, and design. In 2014, recognizing the need for more resources for business leadership and manufacturing, Jim co-founded Making Chips, the number one rated manufacturing podcast with Jason Zenger. Through weekly episodes and speaking engagements, Jim equips and inspires manufacturing leaders across the world with his experience, industry insights, and business wisdom. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to be on somebody else's podcast for a while. No kidding, huh? You're you're like you're used to being on the other side of the mic here, so it's so we're gonna put the spotlight on you. And like I told you before, I don't do too many of these because I, you know, I just like to keep it to people that I know and I happen to know you. But boy, as you read that bio, I feel like I'm a hundred years old. I mean, after all of that, my God. But I guess it's just, you know, the decades just start flying by. You just got to keep yourself uh, on your toes and you just got to keep pushing every day. That's what it's all about. 
I suppose so. Well, it's it's really cool to have you here. I've I've been been listening to your show. You know, I've I've listened to quite a few episodes over the last handful of years, and I was I was just listening to one. I took the I took Friday off to stain my deck, which was like this big looming project over me for this for over the spring. And I I sat there and I listened through a few of your episodes while I was out there on the back deck, and including your trends episode, which I'm going to touch on a little later. I want to hear you talk a little bit about some of some of that, but. You guys are doing a great show. I always refer to to you and Jason as the the OGs of of uh, manufacturing podcasting. You guys have paved the way, and um, pe- people like me have followed. But you guys are really the true originals in the space. So you know, I if you would have asked me twenty years ago if I would be doing this at my career stage, I would have said you're absolutely nuts. And but you know what, the whole thing in life and in business is you got to take a chance. When you hear something, you know, you always hear people say, when you get that aha moment in your head, you got to go for it. Because if it really sounds good, if it really resonates, and if you really feel it in your heart, that's your clue right then and there, you better jump. And I did. And I mean, it hasn't been easy, but you know, we just kept pushing on and we, we, Jason and I never gave up. Good for you guys. I mean, it's, it's, you hit, you hit this at the right time too. Yeah. You know, like there's podcast is, is exploding, but you guys really got it to get in there and establish yourself before anybody else got there in manufacturing. So, I mean, good for you guys for being, being pioneers. It's pretty cool. Cool. Well, I've got all kinds of questions to ask you. So, yeah, yeah, you're on you're on the hot seat now. So, yeah, I, I don't have to get out my calculator or anything. It's not going to be any technical questions, right? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Keep you on the edge of your seat. So, so you're you're obviously a manufacturing guy through and through, going all the way back to your childhood. I was just, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about you know your family's history in this manufacturing space and how it led you to where you are today. Sure. Well, that's going way back, but I'll, I'll try and truncate it as much as possible. But my my dad was always a CNC machine, uh, not a CNC, a machinist by trade. Back in the 50s, he was a, a professional stock car racer and used to race stock cars at Soldier's Field right here in Chicago. When before Soldier's Field was an amphitheater for football, it used to be a racetrack. So my dad back in the 50s used to do that. In the meantime, concurrently, he was working as a machinist, an apprentice machinist, and then a journeyman machinist. I think he went back to like craft foods days. And he always told me that he got most of his experience from the immigrants that were working in that shop and on that shop floor. So he he always talks about a, a Polish guy that he met and they they got really close. And this guy took him under his wing and just showed him the trade, the fundamentals of being a machinist. And, you know, he he had a lot of drive and he had a lot of mechanical aptitude. And then he went on to be the plant manager of Circle Tool and Manufacturing Company in Des Plaines, Illinois, which is really, I would say, just about a 10-minute drive from where we're at today. And he was there for, I'm going to say, 10 years. And the purchasing agent that was sitting right next to him, Mike, was a good friend. They became good friends. He actually started a machine shop, had some immediate success. And my dad said, you know, if Mike can do it, so can I. And I'm going to try. So he went to auctions. He bought a couple of Bridgeport milling machines, told my mom to park outside because they had a two-car garage. 
her car went outside. He put had those machines delivered to our, our home. And he just started doing odd and ends job part-time. He did that for about six months. And then in December of 1972, he made the decision to leave his full-time job and go with Car Machine full-time. And he never looked back from there. So that's, that's the old story about my parents. That's cool. So where'd you enter the picture here? You you just kind of grew up around this, huh? So I did. So the the funny thing is, you know, when my dad was working in in the garage, you know, we had central heat and air conditioning that had run through the HVAC lines in the house. And my bedroom was right above the garage where he was drilling. And I, I remember my mom swearing, my dad's name was Richard, but of course she called him Dick. And she'd say, Dick, I can't believe it. All that gray cast iron dust is is emulating through my house. And, and that the gray, the gray cast iron dust literally would be through our home. So my mom was constantly cleaning and doing that. And, and I would go in the garage. My dad, you know, he'd have a job, you know, he'd set it up on the, the drill press for me and I would drill holes. But then towards my senior year in high school, where it really all started for me, I distinctly remember my parents coming to me and saying, you know, we're willing to give you a college education at a four-year university, or if you think it's appropriate or you feel passionate about it, you can come to work for the company full-time and just go to a, an apprenticeship training, a machinist apprenticeship training. And I'm telling you, Joe, I genuinely thought about that. I remember at 18 years old thinking, well, I looked at my parents, I looked at their lifestyle. I thought, you know, they don't have it too bad. They get they take nice vacation. My dad drives a Cadillac. You know, and an, these are the things that an 18-year-old thinks of, right? So I I made the plunge and I did not go on to a four-year university. I did in fact take a two and a half year machinist apprenticeship program where I learned the theory or the fundamental theory aspects of the trade. And then I had my apprenticeship my journeyman apprenticeship here at Car Machine during the day. So I did that for about two and a half years and graduated and just worked in that capacity as a manual machinist for years until the mid 80s when my dad said, you know, I think uh, there's something to the CNC machining. I'm tasking you with implementing CNC technology to the shop floor. And we bought one and saw immediate success. And I I look back at that time and how everything just clicked. And I think it was a combination of me timing. We all know timing is, is really important, but I had just gotten married. I had just bought a house. My wife was pregnant with our first child. And I had this opportunity to really evolve car machine to the next level with CNC technology. I don't know if I was just into it. I don't know if it interested me. But it took off, and we've never looked back since. Good for you guys. That's that's pretty cool. And I love the classic. We started in our garage story. People say it is a cliche to like say I started a business. You guys actually started the business in your garage. It's pretty cool. We actually started the business in the garage. So yeah, and it was all based on just you know my dad didn't you know he wanted to walk before he ran and just let's try this out see if it uh, looks good and he did and we we lost him in uh, June of 2020. So uh, he he retired in 2014, but he didn't make it through 2020. So I'm sorry to hear that. Thanks, but you know he lived a long life. He's left a legacy, and now my son uh, is in the business too, and we're uh, we're killing it. That's that's really cool. Going to the third generation, I love it. It is absolutely. 
Well, you kind of just started touching on it a second ago with when, when your, your dad bought that first CNC machine, but... Yeah, a Fidel 4020. Okay. Well, I imagine the technological advancements you've seen since you were a little kid watching him, him do this have just out of control, you know, just tremendous advancements. To, I, I'd, I'd be you know, curious to hear you talk a little bit about that, but I also want to hear you talk about the cultural shifts that, that you see going from one generation to the next. So why don't we start with the, start with the former and then let's go to the latter. So let's talk technology because we, you and I and all the listeners to your show know how technology has, is influencing our lives, right? From the cell phones to internet to emails, you know, we're, we're a victim. We're, we succumb to those technologies all the time. But when you start implementing those technologies into a business is when you really start to see things move forward and you, the needle really starts to move. So yes, it was CNC machine tools back in the mid 80s, the 90s. But then I, I swear with, with the advent, well, with the advent of the fax machine, and I don't know if you remember fax machines, Joe. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of fax machines. Yes. I remember when we got our first fax machine, a car machine and tool. And I thought it was so highly technological that I brought all the machinists in the office. And I said, guys, this machine is going to revolutionize our business. They can fax us prints in a matter of seconds, and we can start making parts right away. And I, I remember the guys looking down, you know, and it, you know how it used to just like crawl out. And literally in 20 seconds, we had a print from our customer and we'd be making parts. So that was really the start of it. And then, you know, the dial up modem and internet and email. Email was huge because now we could, instead of faxing those prints, we can email attachments. And then, of course, the CAD files, the, the CAD and CAM technology really amped it up. Gone are the days when I used to be on a CNC standing out at the machine and just entering G and M codes right into the, into the machine tool. Nowadays, we, our customer gives us a CAD file. We upload it to our CAM processor, which is master CAM. And we just click on the, the solid or all the, the and create a tool path. And then it goes into a post processor for that appropriate machine and creates that NC program for that machine to read. So it has just really gone super fast. As you can imagine, without typing in all those codes, the probability of having errors has dramatically declined because what we're doing is we're taking our customer's geometry and creating a tool path from their geometry. So there's no there's no iterations to it. We're we're just moving. We're we're literally creating tool paths off that. So yeah, that tech CAD CAM technology, machine tool technology. Now what I'm seeing is inspection technology. We can take a scanner like a CMM and just scan with a laser a part, and it's going to it's going to take all those extract all those dimensions from that surface and put it into a readable inspection report. The other thing too is ERP technology. I mean, we made a shift to ProShop ERP about three years ago, and it has really it is one of the single most important things we've done is is run our business off a competent ERP system that talks our language and and really understands. So we've got, you know, shop floor PCs that everyone's on all the time. It routes all the the jobs, the operations, 
the finishes, everything. It's just, it's, uh, it's incredible. That's awesome. I actually had Paul Van Meter on the show a couple of weeks ago. So, oh, so you know, he's a great guy. Great yeah, guy. he's an awesome guy. Yeah, he's, they're doing good stuff. Totally agree. I've heard you guys. He and he's been on uh, on making chips a number of times, hasn't he? He has absolutely. I've heard him on there before. Yeah. So, well, pretty cool on the technology front as a whole. I mean, just, you know, we're just living in such an interesting time, almost regardless of what industry you're in. I mean, geez, I, being a marketing guy, you know, I, I, I came up in, uh, I, I graduated from college in 05 and that was the, the fall, that fall of 05 is when Google analytics hit the market. And it's, it's just amazing to think that like, you couldn't even measure anything. Oh, and, and not until when? 2005. That was when you Google Analytics actually. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but I mean, before that, you know, your ability to measure anything digitally was was pretty darn limited. So it's, you know, like for me, I I, I have the similar conversations what you're having with me right now, but with with people about like how I've come up with marketing technology and and just I mean where we've gone from there since over the last you know 16 years is it's unbelievable, really. Sure. So what was that other thing you wanted me to get to after the technology? Oh, the culture. The culture side of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I can only imagine that running a running car machine and tool, you know, when your dad started the business is, is a very different, you know, from a people perspective, it couldn't be much more different, right? So talk about that. You want to hear an old story? Yeah, I would love to hear an old story. I mean, I'm like this young man, just, you know, in my mid-20s, right? And they used to have, my dad used to have manufacturing planning with our machinists prior to them doing the job. And it was all manual, right? So years ago, they used to drive, they used to drill through the steel bar, drill through the steel bar. And then they used to take a, a tool called a counterboring tool. And the pilot of that tool would match up with the diameter of the drilled hole. And then you just create like a, for like a, a cap screw over the top. So he told the guy, be, I remember it distinctly. He said, Steve or Mark or Mike, he said, when you're doing this, be careful because it's not symmetrical off the center line. Be careful when you put the parts, you put the counterbore, make sure you put it on the wrong side. I'll be darned. Three hours later, that machine has walked in the office and said, you're not going to believe it. My dad said, you put the counterbores on the wrong side. He goes, yep. He goes, I want you to punch out right now and repair the parts on your own time. Now, you talk about a cultural shift, right? That would that's probably illegal nowadays. And and just just the fact that my dad would punish the machinist for that. I mean, he, in all fairness, he did warn him about it and he blatantly did not listen to him. But I mean, so we go from that extreme to an extreme where we embrace collaboration. We embrace meetings. Every every Wednesday, I have an hour and a half meeting with my entire team. It started out just talking about production just to get engagement between the office and the shop. So the, we can kind of marry it together because the, the office doesn't really know what's going on in the shop. And if we feel like we, we do know, it only helps in getting the customer on, on top and in, in, you know, knowing where their parts are. So we started talking about that and it just like evolved into a production and strategy meeting or updated meeting. And I talk about every... I've been doing it for about three or four years. We created core values. We defined all four of our core values, which I thought were very important. We live by them. And in our meetings weekly, we talk about anything from 
Well, COVID-19, I talk about COVID-19 weekly, and I've been reporting on it since late March 2020 when the world ended back then. Two, I talk about the economy. How are things going? I get reports from NAM, National Association for Manufacturers, Illinois Manufacturing Association. And I, re- I, I extract key information from those reports to give to my employees because I feel it's important for them to know. Just And then we have field trips. We go to the International Machine Tool Show every other year when they had it. When they had it this year, they didn't have it. Or last September, was they didn't have it. And we, we go on. We have educational and human development or networking type field trips. The educational ones are going to IMTS, where we're enlightening ourselves with new information, new technologies. And then the network developing ones where we go have fun, we'll go to a, a microbrewery. Well, we went to Cop, Top Golf just a few weeks ago. And I think it's really important to be with your coworkers in a social environment because you know we all work hard every day and we don't have a lot of time to get to know the guy that's, you know, 20 feet away from us. And and it really helps. It really is important. So from what my dad taught me about running a shop and being culturally aware to what I've learned to actually practicing good culture, it is a night and day difference. And I can only imagine that it's helped us tremendously in employee retention, in hiring new people. I, well, for one thing, I do not hire any new employee unless that employee is first interviewed by me. Then if they make it through that interview, I bring them back and I have every employee in the entire company interview that guy from five to 20 minutes. Because I feel as though if you're talking to somebody, you're going to get a vibe. You're going to get a sense of what that person's all about. And if you feel like there's something weird, there's something funky going on with that person you're talking to. I need to know that as the employer. And as soon as that guy leaves, everyone gets together and says, how did you feel? How was your communication? Did you get any bad vibes? And I've already not hired people due to that because we felt as though that that person didn't have a good cultural fit with Carr. Uh, I mean, that stuff's huge. And it is. I, I align with a lot of what, what you're talking about here in terms of what we've made important in our, in our business. But you know, I think especially you being in, in manufacturing right now in 2021, I mean, we, we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, but almost everybody I'm talking to is, is saying our biggest problem is we can't find people, we can't hire people. And when you have a culture that you've, you've built a foundation there, you've built a good culture, I mean, there's no time better than right now for that to shine when... And frankly, there's just not enough. There aren't enough people out there to do the jobs, and you got you got to stand out as an employer. You have to be different. You have to be different. It's just it's just like in marketing, and I know you understand marketing. If if your marketing plan is like a, a apple pie, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but you have to have. I, I when I think of marketing for a business, I think of it like a big apple pie, right? Maybe a Dutch apple pie, but. Every sliver of that pie, no matter if it's a a sliver or a slab, is a piece of your whole marketing plan. I believe that the more culturally aligned you can get with your employees like that piece of pie, I think it's going to just really amp up your your brand and it's going to attract new people. And I think ultimately, if you have a great, healthy work environment, it's going to show in the work, right? 
you're more apt to to do you know if you're mad at the guy next to you or you you just don't like the guy that's next to you or and you're you're doing a job you're probably going to go slower you're not going to care about tolerance you're not going to care about micro finish or whatever the case may be but if you ha- if you do really have a healthy culture a work environment every day i guarantee you it is definitely going to show overall in, in your performance as a company 100% agree thanks jim if i recall correctly you said your company runs on eos or traction is that right it does we, that was part of the shift in culture because you know it, it is a cultural shift to have a systematized way to run your business and that's what eos is all about it's the entrepreneurial operating system it's a book called traction written by gino wickman and i'll be very honest about this when jason and i first started the podcast we'd have guests on like you having me on that would be talking about culture. See, because Jason was always the culture guy. I was always the manufacturing guy. So we'd ha- invite people on that were practicing EOS. And I'd be, you know, I'd be asking the questions. And I thought, you know what? I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk. So I did, in fact, from the podcast, start reading and implementing EOS traction. And it has been. It's, it's just, it's one of those, I call it, there's five things that have revolutionized my business in the last five years. And EOS is definitely one of those legs for sure. It's, it's been incredible. You're running traction as well, right? Yeah. Just as of recently, we, you know, my business partner, John and I, we read traction. It was probably five years ago, honestly, when we read it for the first time and we pulled little elements of it and we started, you know, kind of, piecemealing our way through bits and pieces that we liked. And then we wound up hiring a consultant outside of our company who who did a really great job for us, but he pulled, you know, he he wasn't a, a EOS pure implementer. And and after he was kind of had moved on from working with us, things kind of fell apart. And then it was it was last year, probably about this time, where John and I said, it's like, let's just do EOS pure. Let's just do this right. You know, there are certain elements of the system. Some of the terminology gets a little it feels a little cheesy and it is i know but i know but that's what makes it kind of but who cares right it adds to the mystique of it it's kind of like you're doing something cool right <laughs> yeah but it, it kind of some of that stuff kind of bothered us a little early on but then we're like okay who cares it's everything's got a name there's a process for everything and and so we embraced it and we we hired an implementer from the outside we started in december so we're we're approaching a half year in and i mean geez it's it's everything I, I would have hoped that it, it could be for us already. I mean, we had our, our L10 this morning and and we all rated it nines and tens, which is becoming pretty typical. You rate the meeting at the end of your weekly meeting. And if it's less than an eight, you got to explain why. You got to explain why exactly. But you know what's what's just been great for us is we are solving real business problems. We're surfacing the biggest issues in this company and we are working on them every week. And that's been probably the most the most trans I don't want to say transformational yet. We're only six months in, but like I see it happening. Yeah, it will. I, I swear to God. I mean, part of the reason that we bought our new building two blocks away is because that was my rock, my rock, my goal, my quarterly goal, which we, as you know, is are called rocks, was to a the 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 first quarter was make the decision to actually determine if moving is valid. So I said, yes, we, we as a L10 team decided that, yes, we need to move. The next quarter was finding that building. 
and I did. And I always, it's always, always looming on my shoulders, right? I've got to get, I've got to get my rock done. I've got to get my rock done. So it makes you, it forces you, it reminds you, it tasks you with all those things that you need to do to be accountable to making sure that rock happens. That's right. And it just forces you to prioritize as a company what things are most important because there are a million things you could be doing, right? That you want to be doing. And you got to figure out what, where are we going to put our energy and let's do it right and let's get it done and hold ourselves accountable to it. Right. Well, I think that we, we all are working and everyone's working siloed, right? And everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone's got their own responsibilities to take care of. But I think when your leadership team comes together in operations, in sales, in finance, that's when you can really start talking about the entire company because those are basically the three things that how a company operates is finance, operations, and sales, right? So I, I really it's it's been incredibly successful for us. And you know, my son's read the book. Well, he's doing an audible now on the second time around, but we did all read it as a team, took notes, discussed it every week, went through GWC to everything, and yeah, a lot of fun. Well, any, any leaders of manufacturing organizations out there, if you're, if you're not familiar with Traction by Gino Wickman, just do yourself a favor, pick up a copy, spend a few hours reading the book and decide if it could be something for you because it's just a really powerful system for you know, getting everybody on the same page, working toward the same goals inside your company. Yeah. You got to let go of the vine, right? That's, that's how the book starts is you got to let go of the vine. You got to take a chance. You got to you got to have a little bit of risk. That's right. Well, Jim, let's let's talk about uh, making chips a little bit here. I want to want to hear a little bit of oh that little podcast that we got going on. Yeah, that little podcast that we've we've uh, we've all heard of. So you know, I've, I've touted you and uh, you and Jason Zenger as the you know the, the OGs of manufacturing podcasting. You guys kind of paved the way here. How did this come to be? Let's hear about what what made you decide we're going to do a podcast when, frankly, nobody in this in this industry was doing a podcast, and you probably questioned a little bit if anybody was going to listen to you. So let, let's hear it. <laughs> I remember when we got the thirteen thousand downloads. I was I I couldn't believe it. But anyway, on November twenty thirteen, Jason and I were asked to be on a, a local Chicago AM radio station, just because Jason was doing things with culture. At his company, and I was doing social media marketing for a manu- machine shop. It was highly unusual for both of those to happen. This radio show was interested in what we were doing. It was something different. Again, being different gets you noticed, right? We went on the show. We we killed it. And about a week after the show aired, I think it aired like on a Saturday morning at six a.m. They probably had five people listening to us, right? But anyway, Jason called me. And he said, you know, we, he goes, we crushed that interview. He said, you really understand manufacturing. You've been living it your entire life. You, you know what you're talking about. And you're doing something different. You're doing social media marketing, and which again, frankly, no one was doing back in 2013. He said, A, do you know what a podcast is? And I said, yes, I do. I said, aren't they kind of like old? He says, well, as a matter of fact, they are old, but with the advent of 4G technology, they're having a resurgence because now we can download and we can stream faster than we ever could. Otherwise, it was buffering, 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 right? So he asked me if I knew what a podcast was. I said, I did. He said, do you listen to them? And I said, no, quite frankly, I don't. He says, well, I listened to about, I think at that time he was listening to 
15 or 20 or 30 or whatever the heck it was. He says, I think we could do one. I think we could be successful. I said, okay. That's when that light bulb went off in my head and I had like an aha moment. So here's an opportunity to do something different in a space that nobody else is doing at the right time. And I called them and I said, give me 24 hours to think about it. And I did. And I called them back and I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go for it. I have the opportunity. I have the, the freedom to work outside of my business on something else. I said, but here's the thing. I will not do it unless I really research it because it's our brand. And I really want to re- retain a high brand level of myself and my manufacturing company. And I just don't want to put anything out there that's less than excellent in quality. So Joe, we we literally, for a year, we plan what's the average commute in America because we wanted to get it in the length of the show in under that time. I remember Jason and I sitting at brunch, drinking mimosas all morning, taking notes and coming up with the name of the show. And actually, Jason was the one that said, what about making chips? And I said, how do you, how do you even know what that word is? You know, Because that's really, truly a manufacturer shop floor word. And he didn't know. But we, we spent a lot of time. We went to... Jason, we joined a Facebook page, a Podcaster's Paradise Facebook page. And we would be asking online on that platform. You know, It was a closed group. We'd be asking people questions like, what kind of microphones, what kind of recording stuff are you using? And then, then the, 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 the music to the show, we, he let me pick that because that's kind of my thing. And then we hired um, voice talent, voiceovers for the, for the opening, the lead-in, and then the out- intro and the outro. I mean, it was just, it was really all well put together like a puzzle. So we finally launched, boy, re- like... December 28th through December 30th, I think was our first, we put it up on Libsyn and went out to uh, the iTunes. And that was, well, let's, we say January 2015. And within about four weeks, it made it to the iTunes new and noteworthy. And then I had a marketing company that I was working with at the time that was helping with PR so a couple of huge manufacturing trade publications picked it up, did a couple articles on it. Again, I was pretty articulate with social media. So I would constantly be putting it up on social sites. And of course, all the people that follow me are manufacturers that are going to... Plus, I was the uh, chairman of the board of a manufacturing company here in Chicago. I had a lot of people that, kn- that knew me that I was friends with and peers with that would sit in on the show and tell their stories, just like I told the story about my dad having the guy punch out. You know, We all want to hear relatable stories in our industry, and that creates that emotional connection. And, and that's really when you get, you get a long-time listener is when you can make that emotional. We call it on the show, the goosebump moment, when Jason or I or Nick now can, can say something so relatable that that person goes, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. That's happened to me 10 times in my career, or it's happened to me just yesterday, or, oh my God, I've got that same problem going on in my shop right now with HR or anything. It could, you know, anything. So it just really started to snowball in the first, second quarter of 2015. 
And like I said, I, I remember when I'd go on to uh, Libsyn and we had 13,000 downloads. And I said, my God, I can't believe people are even interested in what I've got to say. So, you know, again, Joe, it's, it's crazy to think that in this, that this part of my career that I'm actually doing something that is so natural and people actually care to listen to me uh, and tell my story. And I, hopefully I can equip, inspire, and entertain them a little bit at the same time. Because we all like to laugh, right? Absolutely. I think, I, I mean, one thing I just love about this medium is it, it humanizes people. Like it brings out, you get to see your personality. You're the, you are the person behind car, machine, and tool. And this brings you out into the public space. And like people want to work with people they like and who, who they trust their expertise. And, you know, you're not just so, some guy behind a company name that no one ever sees or hears. So I think that's a really powerful sort of underlooked or overlooked, I should say, element of, of this medium that's, it's, Really powerful. Yeah. That's cool. How, how many episodes you guys had at this point? Do you know off the top of your head or, or ballpark? Plus or minus three. I think we're at about 270. 270. Wow. That's that's amazing. It's it is amazing. A lot of work. I mean, when you add all that up, the time that went... Yeah. I remember like when we first would get together, we'd have to find... A, well, we, we would record our episodes in Jason's furnace room in his company, which was just literally a half a mile outside of O'Hare International Airport. And we'd have to pause because there would be a jet flying overhead. You know what I mean? So we'd have to editor would have to, I'm, I'm not lying about this at all. We'd be in his furnace room recording. I, oh, we'd, we'd even drink a bottle of wine together because we were a little nervous. You know what I mean? And showing up the first couple of times, we didn't have the right wires and we're like, oh my God, what's next? You know? But you just push through and you just keep going. You just keep going. It gets easier, right? It does get easier. It always gets easier. Well, so 260 some episodes for you guys. I, I didn't mention this to you yet, but this is kind of a special episode for me. This is number 52, meaning that this this one will be will officially cap off year one for me of of my show. I, I hit every single Tuesday morning for a year. I've, I've been able to make this happen and go live. And it's been one of the best podcasting. I, I can't speak more highly about this as a medium and an opportunity for people. I mean, from the people I've met and been, been able to talk to, best-selling authors, leaders of you know huge and small manufacturing organizations leaders of industry organizations in the manufacturing space i just it's it's been the best market research i've ever done it's been i've made more connections in the last year doing this i've learned so much and i and this has been the the core of our content strategy for my my company I mean, we take these episodes and we chop them up into videos we write blog posts from the content and it just accomplishes so much and it's a lot of fun frankly so <laughs> i'm a huge fan same. Likewise. Likewise. Okay. Last thing I want to hit on here, Jim, because we've been, we've been going for a while here, which is great. But Yeah. Well, I don't have any problems talking. so <laughs> Yeah. I don't either. So you put us two together and talk all day. Dangerous. Yeah, for sure. So I listened... I mentioned earlier, I was, I was out staining my deck on Friday and queued up a few Making Chips episodes. And one of them that I listened to, you and Jason went through, I think it was 25 trends that you see ahead in manufacturing, especially you know coming out of this pandemic. And I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to rehash the episode, but I'm curious if there's... No, I, I, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'd, I'd be curious, is there anything that you'd, you'd, you'd look at and say, 
this right here, I, I, I don't know if people see this coming, but I think this is on the horizon or just something you feel strongly about that you see changing in the space right now. So I, I'll, I'll turn it over to you and take that where you want to take it. Honestly, Jason owned that episode. So here, just quickly, Jason has a show structure. He picks the, he, he crafts the show structure. So that was his. And then we discuss it in advance and then we go for it. So it was his. So I don't remember all 25, but I will tell you what I genuinely, whether that was on that list of 25 or not, I genuinely believe that we are ready for another huge milestone in technology. I have really seen it. It's it's really grown a lot in the last three years. And it seems like every five-year period, the technology just advances so much faster than it did the time before that. So I really believe that, especially in our industry, the technologies that we're using to operate it. And again, remember, we've got shop floor technology, we've got ERP technology, computer technology, we got inspection technology. I really believe that all of those are really going to advance. And then there's robotic technology, you know, robots that take the parts, put it in the machine. That is huge. That's blowing up right now. So that's what I believe the next three years we're going to see a lot of advancements in. Yeah. I, I think you have a better perspective being right there th- than I do, but I, I talk to a lot of people and a lot of my interviews recently have been from with with individuals inside of automation, AI, robotics. Uh, I led a panel discussion on Clubhouse a couple of weeks ago with the VP of sales from Fanuc America and Plus Run Robotics, uh, president there, and a few, a few others that are at the heart of it. And it is just fascinating to me to hear what's going on and, and also how important it is for American manufacturing to keep up with what's happening in China and, like, you know, to, to stay ahead of the technology curve here. If we want to, you know, keep, you know, allow American manufacturing to keep advancing. So I, I, I mean, geez, you know better than me, but but I'm hearing hearing the same and, and seeing it from a lot of different angles. And I think business is going to be good well in the 22. That's what the 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 smart people out there, the the people with the the crystal balls, the fortune balls, you know, that's what they say that it's going to be good well into 22. And I have to uh, agree. I think that. It's really strong now. You know, we we really didn't have a downturn for us in 2020 during the pandemic. It was a time for us to get ready for the big the big upsurge. And now I'm seeing it just in the last five weeks. I'm really seeing it move the needle. Good stuff. Well, Jim, is there anything you wanna wanna say to kind of put a bow on this episode? Yeah, I think that to the people out there, just know that, you know, we, we talked a lot about taking a chance and when you when you know it's right or when you think it's good or having that aha moment in the back of your head i think people should act on it i mean i don't necessarily act right away but when you have one of those thoughts you should definitely write it down and act on it within an appropriate amount of time whatever that is you know if it's buying a new building of course i'm not going to say make an offer on it tomorrow, but really think it through. Think about the risks versus the rewards. And if you evaluate that, I think that you could be successful in your own right. I always like to say, just friggin' start, you know? Like you gotta you gotta just dive in and, and start. So right. And it, but it has to be it has to you have to think about it. It has to be, you know, it has to be strategic. So 
Awesome. Well, Jim, can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you, where they can learn more about both Car Machine and Tool and making chips? Sure. Oh, my full-time job is Car Machine and Tool. It's carmachine.com, C-A-R-R-M-A-C-H-I-N-E.com, or Jim at makingchips.com. That's a good email address to contact me through. Or LinkedIn. I'm pretty relevant on LinkedIn. You can go to my LinkedIn profile, Jim Carr, request a connection. I'll be happy to connect with you there. It's a good place to talk to me. Awesome. This was a fantastic conversation, Jim. It was really, really fun to do this with you today. So thank you. Thanks. I hope I inspired some people to do some better things. I'm sure you have. And uh, hopefully it was fun for you to be the one on, you know, the one being interviewed as opposed to the interviewer. So something a little different. We'll put, we'll put a wrap on this. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com slash learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.